Joshua chapter number 6. If you have your place, would you stand with me? I'll read two verses while you're standing. And then you can be seated for the remainder of the service. Let's look at it. Joshua chapter number 6. Before I read the two verses to give you just a little context. You remember the story where God led Joshua to lead the children of Israel to Jericho to march around the walls of that city. And uh, many of you learned that even as early as Sunday school when you were just children probably sang songs about it. If you remember, they marched around it once a day for six days and then on the seventh day they marched around it how many times? Seven times. And then at the cue of the man of God... He said, shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. When they blew the trumpets and the people shouted, the walls fell down flat, the Bible said. And so this is historically what's happening in this chapter. And there's so much in here that it may be difficult for me to focus in on exactly what I feel compelled to share with you. So I desire your prayers this morning, but let's look at verses 14 and 15 and then we'll go from there verse 14 and the second day they compassed the city once and returned into the camp so they did six days and it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times only on that day they can pass the city seven times. And my subject today is to preach to you on this thought. We have our marching orders. Thank you. And you can be seated in the presence of the Lord. We have our marching orders. This is a strange crew, the nation of Israel, for they serve the creator of the universe, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, God Jehovah, he's revealed himself to them, entered into covenant with them, and God does things for his people Israel that he has done for no other. Amen. And noise, uh, it, the, 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 the news has spread far and wide throughout the earth uh, as to the mighty things that God has done for his people Israel. For example, the mighty crossing of the Red Sea on dry land. News spread far and wide on how that the entire nation of Israel walked across on dry land. Amen. And then following them, hot on their heels was the enemy, Pharaoh and his army. And unlike many of the Hollywood depictions, Pharaoh actually did drown along with his army in the Red Sea when they went into pursuit, can you imagine the blindness and prideness of heart for a man to think that he could go up against the God who has just parted the Red Sea for his people and to think that he would go in there and assume that kind of danger of life and limb to just try to get back what God was stripping out of his grip. But pride hid uh, his eyes from truth and he marched right in or he actually took his uh, chariots and went in and you remember the story, the whole Egyptian army was drowned and uh, their enemies was gone forever, amen. It was a great deliverance and, and so then 40 years later, now it's their turn to go into the actual promised land and uh, right before they went into Jericho, another similar miracle took place in that they crossed the Jordan River on dry land and just as what happened when he parted the Red Sea, now it's happening when he parted the Jordan River. Word is spreading far and wide that God's army is on the move and that God dried up the Jordan River for them and it has, it has smote fear into the hearts of the, the enemies of the nation of Israel. And so God's people are marching on into promised land. Amen. And they're coming into this uh, city called Jericho. And, and, and I want to just draw some spiritual application for us this morning on some things and some principles and some truths that I believe that we could apply to our day-to-day -day walk with the Lord 
and in our coral and in our walk uh, and in our teamwork with the local church. Somebody say amen if you're with me this morning. So, number one, I want to say this: we have our marching orders for devotion. Now, look with me back at chapter number five, and I want to look at verses thirteen through fifteen. This is an encounter that Joshua had with the Lord of hosts. Read with me, if you will, follow along. And it came to pass, uh, chapter 5, verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou... For us or for our adversaries? That's a pretty good question. Amen. Verse number 14. And he said, Nay, but as captain of the, Lord, the host of the Lord, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did what? Worship. And said unto him, What saith my Lord? unto his servant and the captain of the lord's host said unto joshua loose thy shoe from off thy foot for the place whereon thou standest is holy i've heard that before haven't you do you remember when moses heard the same voice at the burning bush and the lord revealed himself unto moses and if you'll remember back at the first part of the book of joshua the lord told joshua as I was with Moses, so shall I be with thee. And I could, I could imagine for just a few moments how young Joshua must have felt to have to step into the shoes of the man of God we know as Moses. And how intimidating that must have been. And I could imagine as a young man, he, uh, he might have heard uh, the stories of how God moved in Moses' life. And maybe Moses sat down and told Joshua about that time at the burning bush that the Lord said, Pull thy shoes off thy feet, for the land whereon thou standest is holy ground. And I could imagine as a young preacher boy, he must have been chomping at the bits to have some kind of experience with God like that. Don't you, amen? I mean, he's thinking, if I'm going to take over this people Israel, this great people, uh, and if I'm going to follow in the footsteps of Moses, I'm going to have to have the kind of power with God that Moses had. And so what do you know? God does for this young preacher the same anointing that fell upon Moses, fell upon Joshua, and Joshua, when he heard those same words spoken to Moses, spoken to him, he realized in that moment that this was real, that God was going to use him much in the same way that he used Moses. And I've got news for this generation today we can weep over the fact that yesteryear has come and gone and that God moved in great power and old time conviction and we could we could weep over the fact that the great awakening has come and gone and we read of the Welsh revivals that came and gone and we can weep over the fact that this generation has yet to see a move of God like we've read about and like we've heard about but I've got good news for you this morning the same God God that was alive in yesteryear is the same God that's on the march today and God wants to do as much or more today as he's ever done don't buy into the lie of the devil that God is dead and so is the church dying God is very much alive and his church will march on today I say glory to God and so he heard that voice, that fresh voice. Uh, and I know that this was none other than Christ incarnate, uh, uh, pre-incarnate, I should say. Is that right? Did I say that right? Uh, this was before Jesus came in flesh. Uh, but the reason I know this was Jesus is because when he fell down to worship him, he did not rebuke him. If it were an angel, he would have said, don't worship me. But he let him worship him, and he used the same words as God the Father. 
I believe this was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ standing before Joshua and telling him to pull your shoes off your feet. Amen. And Joshua in that moment realized that the anointing has fallen on him and that mantle has been passed from one generation to the next to lead God's people on. Amen. And I know we can whine and bellyache and complain about all the false prophets rising up today and all the heresy floating around, but let's thank God that he's still raising up voices in the wilderness that will cry out, prepare ye the way of the Lord, that will cry out, repent or ye shall all likewise perish. I'm glad that God always has a remnant and it's up to you and me to be part of that remnant. Can I get an amen this morning? We have our marching orders because of who we're devoted to. You need to never forget who it is that we are serving and who it is that we are worshiping. First and foremost, look at this encounter that Joshua had. Verse 15, the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And what is the next four words in your King James Bible? And Joshua did so. Amen. Uh, Joshua acknowledged uh, that this, and he had asked him, whose side are you on? And he said, neither. I'm, I'm on my own side. This is my plan. Amen. Uh, and let me tell you something. Uh, uh, when we begin to realize this is not our agenda, this is not our church, uh, this belongs to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, uh, then we have an appropriate response to the Word of God every single time. Amen. Uh, when we realize that He's not going to fight uh, uh, my causes and He's not going to fight your causes, He's going to fight His own cause. Uh, and you can either join with them or fight against them but God is not looking for people who are going to be rebels without a cause. He's looking for people that will bow down and worship Him and owe their allegiance to solely and entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and the word of His power. Can I get an amen this morning church? We need to remember where our devotions lie and you don't need to get mad at the preacher or the deacon or the Sunday school teacher or the Christian who says you know what as for me and my house we will serve the Lord. Uh, many, many people in ministry today get many odd requests and many times they get odd demands out of people to do certain things that we know are against that Bible. And our only and appropriate response should be my devotion is solely and entirely Entirely to the God of the book. Amen. And the book that God wrote. And I have no business catering to the wishes and whims of a culture that's slipping and sliding off into hell at breakneck speed. It's time for us to stand up. It's time for us to remember who our allegiance lies with. And if we don't obey the Lord, we should not obey anybody. Amen. I'm talking about we have our marching orders because of who we're devoted to. But not only that. We have our marching orders for direction. Chapter 6, look at verses 1 through 5 with me. Somebody bring me a bottle of water if you'd like. Uh, now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Look at this. God already has Jericho in gridlock and God's people hasn't made the first advancement toward the city. That's powerful. Remember that. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. Don't worry about how strong the people are that come up against you. If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 3, And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go around about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days, and seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets, and it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight 
before him. I want you to behold this sight. God is giving them direction on what they should do to defeat their enemy. And if you'll notice, uh, the only instruction he has given them thus far is what instrument to play and where to march. Amen. Uh, and how many times to march. He hasn't given them one sermon to preach. Uh, he has only said go and march and play the trumpets uh, and don't say a word. Don't shout don't even whisper anything until you're told to and this is their marching orders amen uh, and it's important for us to realize that no matter how foolish it may look to us uh, no matter how weird it may seem sometimes God will ask us to do things that don't make any logical human sense uh, but when we learn to obey the Lord it works every time uh, because we're not smarter than God is whether we believe believe that or not. Amen. I, I've heard of many a preacher get up under the unction of the Holy Ghost and give the church uh, the directive that the Holy Spirit of God was telling the pastor to give the church. And the church uh, rose up in rebellion and a church split occurred because the people it didn't make any logical sense to them what the preacher was telling them God was telling him. Uh, and the church suffered a breach because some people decided that they were smarter than the Holy Ghost and they were smarter than the Word of God and they were going to do it their way instead of God's way and they suffered as a result of their disobedience. May it never be said amongst us, uh, Washington Heights Baptist Church, uh, that we would forsake the voice of God through the Word of God and Spirit of God uh, at the sacrifice of our logic, at the sacrifice of our understanding. What does the Bible say in Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6? Amen. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding standing in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path sometimes God's going to give us direction and it's not going to make any sense to us uh, when God told me to come uh, to Washington Heights Baptist Church I knew immediately that I'd be walking away from at least $20,000 in income uh, but let me tell you something it's the best decision I've ever made in my life uh, because I believe I'm right up smack dab in the middle of a move of God uh, and it doesn't matter how much it costs me as long as the Lord is high and lifted up and I'm not saying that to brag on Gary Caudle but I, I want to ask you a question what if I thought logically what if I did what the average person was trained to do is figure it out on paper and wait until it made sense on paper then make a move why well, I'd have never come and I don't, I'm not saying God could would never have done anything without me but I'm simply saying uh, and when you follow the voice of God sometimes it's not going to make sense on paper Sometimes it's not going to make sense in your brain. And amen. <laughs> I'm just glad that he's my provider. Amen. I'm just glad that let come what may. Amen. God's going to take care of me. I'm not worried about it this morning. I'm thanking the Lord that he is high and lifted up. And he has marching orders. And my, my job as a soldier is to simply salute my Lord and say yes sir. And then follow in obedience to his command. Amen. And as a church it is. It is our obligation and our responsibility to follow to the letter the voice of God. This is our direction. Never forget that God has already gone before you and done things in preparation of your arrival and obedience that you know nothing about right now. We're not privy to all that God knows. Look at these people, Israel, coming up on the city of Jericho and discovering that they've done locked the whole city down. My, my, my. And then God says, see, it's almost like I read into that I told you so. And I imagine they had a few unbelieving Baptists in the midst, amen, that said, I just don't know about this. Oh, I don't know, preacher, this, ooh. Man, what if we get up there and they start lunging uh, lunging there, what are they, what are them things? Catapult said, what if, we, what if we get up there and they start shooting arrows at us? What if we get up there and I can imagine the doubtful and frightful and the fearful? Can't you? And they discovered that they were down on gridlock. They wouldn't let nobody come out and go in. God said, see? And you know what God would say to us if we were walking in obedience? We'd step up to the horizons of God's next chapter in our lives and God would say, see? I told you so. Amen. We just got to trust the Lord that he's going before us. 
Because, see, God is not a God of chaos and disorder. God is not catching up to current events and trying to figure out what he's going to do in response. God has already got the end figured out from the beginning. And I promise you, there's nobody can play chess like God can play chess. Amen. God knows exactly what moves to make to, to win every single time if we'll just follow the voice of the Lord. Verses 1 and 2, he said, Now Jericho was straightly shut up. Amen. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given into thine hand Jericho. I mean, they're just nothing but sitting ducks. They're an easy target now. They're not out and about gathering weaponry and raising armies. They're, they're smitten with fear and in and total panic mode. And boy, I like it when God puts the devil on the run, don't you? That's why we don't need to be distraught and worried and stressed when somebody says something negative about what God's doing around here. And when some and, and naysayer has something, uh, uh, Ill, uh, some ill will to say or some uh, grudge uh, from 30 years ago to bring up uh, when God's doing something new, just don't pay him no mind. All, uh, all that does is reveals to us that the enemy is mad. That's right. The enemy's nervous. The enemy's afraid. And it don't bother me that when we have 100 last week and we only have 45 this week, that don't bother me either because I preach to fewer than this and God's just as stick in the building as ever. Listen, God don't need a whole bunch of people to worship Him. He just needs a few that are sold out to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. And we got to quit measuring our success based upon what we can see and start measuring our success based upon what we have heard and been obedient to. And I told you several months ago, it, the attendance may drop before it rises. And I'll add to that, it may never rise anymore. I hope it does. I pray it does. But is our objective as a church to increase our attendance? Or is our objective to go out and reach the lost? You would think that by default the church will grow when you're reaching the lost. But you know sometimes you'll lead somebody to the Lord and God will put them in another place. And we can either get bitter about that and say, well, I won't win nobody else to Christ because every time I do, they join the church down the road. Listen, that's God's business. You just keep winning them, amen? You don't worry about who they join up with and who God connects them with. We, are we not supposed to focus on the broader kingdom of God and not just our local church? If, if these local churches would come together and realize that we're all on the same team, amen, it'd be amazing at how many people. I mean, I, I've been told before, hey, just stay over in your territory. Can you believe that? I didn't know there was any territory in the world that was off limits. I thought he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I can't help it if you don't go to your own territory and God has to force me 30 miles down the road to reach the people that you're supposed to reach. Can somebody say amen right there? That, felt, that sounded a little cocky, so I apologize. Lord, humble me this morning. You know my heart. I didn't mean that in any arrogant way, but it might have been taken like that. God, help us to see our, get our eyes on the direction that God has for us. So, listen, we have our marching orders for devotion, for direction. Thirdly, I'd like to say this. We have our dictation. Look at chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. And Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest, said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant. Let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. What we're doing now is we're discovering to see if Joshua followed the dictation of the Lord. All right. Verse 7. He said unto the people, pass on and come past the city. Let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. It came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priest and blew with the trumpets and the re-reward or rear guard came after the ark and the priest going on, the priest going on and blowing with the trumpets, Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout, then shall ye shout. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. 
Now, quick question. Is Joshua following the commandment that he received from the Lord? Yes or no? He most certainly is. But I find it interesting there's some, uh, some clarity. He, uh, it's, it's as if he heard God say more than what was written because he also says, don't say a single word until I tell you to shout. I'm talking about the dictation, uh, the, the words of God. Uh, I, I see a common theme in this section right here first notice that the ark of the lord is going with them that is symbolic of the word of god and the presence of god in that ark they kept the tablets of stone aka the ten commandments that first god carved out of the stone with his finger then moses got angry and busted them. remember and god made them chisel them by hand out of the uh, out of the rock the second time so this is that second set that Moses chiseled out of the rock and now this is the word of God that God has decreed for his people to live by being paramount in the march the soldiers are bef- both before it and after it you have the, the the front soldiers and you have the rear guard and right up in the middle of it with emphasis is the ark with the word of God in it and the priests who are the ministers of the Word of God. What this tells us is that just because the people were instructed not to say a word doesn't mean something is not being said. I imagine that these people are frightened by the power of God and don't want to make one misstep because they've done it before and been smitten dead. So I could imagine, and maybe I'm reading between the lines that you can uh, come up to your own conclusions, but I imagine while they're not talking, they're probably quoting in their memory the Ten Commandments over and over again, just meditating on the Word of God because they don't want a thought or a deed to step out of line with the dictates of God's Word. They want to get this right. And so they'd rather not say something than to say something amiss. Amen. And, and I just want to remind us that when God has already spoken on a matter or when God is speaking, we better just learn to be silent. If God has spoken, who are we to say something else? Who are we to say, add to it? Who are we to take away from it? Who are we to question it? Who are we to create and invent our own words? But are we not in the Laodicean church age today where it seems like everybody's doing that which is right in their own eyes? It seems like such a huge amount of so-called churches today have completely run off the rails of God's Word. And they have, instead of marching to the dictates of God's Word, they're marching, babbling the whole time. Running their mouth the whole time. They're making it up as they go nowadays. Which way is the wind blowing? That's the, what, that's the new standard. Amen. There's a reason for uh, truth. You know, they say truth is objective. It, well, my truth may not be your truth. That's a lie from the pits of hell. There's only one truth and his name is Jesus Christ. Can I, can I, yeah, go ahead and, and clap on that. That's all right. Amen. It's a lie from the pits of hell. If it's wrong for one person to commit adultery, it's wrong for another person to commit adultery. If it's wrong for one to be a homosexual, it's wrong for another one to be a homosexual. Amen. If, if it's wrong, for, you know, if it's wrong for one to cheat on a spouse, it's wrong for the other. I've, I've heard tell of people saying, well, the Lord told me to, to, uh, to divorce my husband. He didn't tell you no such because it's against the word of God. Amen. <laughs> people making up the rules as they go to fit. Their, their, they call it situational ethics in their colleges. And they brainwashed our kids into thinking that anything can go. You know why? 
because the governments and the powers that be want to be able to make the rules up as they go and they want to train people to float along and to get along, go along to get along but they hate the Christian that has principles and standards and morals that are unmovable, amen but the Bible says be steadfast unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I'm glad for some solid truths that will never change no matter who's in the White House or anywhere else in the world. They may legalize every sin that this Bible stands against, but just because it's legal in man's eyes don't mean it's legal in the eyes of God. Amen. And let me tell you something. I'm not about to cower I'm not about to bend, and if they start trying to force us to, uh, as pastors in the Baptist churches to marry homosexuals, you can count me out if I have to go to jail because I'm not going to violate the Word of God for you or anybody else. Can I get an amen? But now we can get all mad, flustered, and frustrated about what they're doing. Now I'm preaching against the homosexuals, but probably there ain't none in here. So I'm going to try to help us where we're at. What principles, what truths might we be violating in the church? And I'll let the Holy Spirit reveal that to you as he will. All I ask as a pastor is that you pay attention to the counsel that I give from the pulpit. You know why? Because I will give 99.9% of the counsel that you need from the pulpit. I'm serious. If people are spiritually discerned enough, they can pick up on what the Spirit's saying to the church. And they can learn how to apply it to their own lives without me having to come and babysit them and give them step-by-step instructions. When I mean, I can't tell you how many times people come and ask me for advice. And if they literally had just listened to the sermon I just preached, they would have got everything they needed. Amen. Amen. Amen I'm talking about just following the voice of God and the Word of God. Uh, I want to challenge this church to, to pay attention to the counsel that the Spirit of God gives to us from the pulpit. Because I will seldom pull you to the side in private and bring up an issue if God has already brought it up in the pulpit. Right. And here's why. Here's why Jesus would speak in parables. <coughs> so that those who are spiritually discerned would pick up on it. And those who are not spiritually discerned would be totally clueless and God wouldn't even give them the advantage of revealing it to them why because they're not hungering and thirsting for it amen God's not God's not he told us not to do this and he's not going to he's not going to cast his pearls before swine why would he enlighten your eyes to some great truth if you've rejected what light he's already given you you, hear, you see, see what I'm saying? And, and you've got to realize that some, many times the Holy Spirit is telling you exactly what you need to know if you'll just open your heart and open your mind and open your eyes and say, Lord, speak to me through the preaching of the Word of God and help me to hear what it is that you'll have. To. And I've preached to a hundred people and I've got different variations of how it helped people. And it might even seem like that one subject is completely unrelated to the next because God knows how to take that Word and tailor fit it for each and every individual as they need something from God. I've got up and preached on salvation and not a soul get saved. And I've got up and preached on praise and worship and two or three get saved. I, don't, I can't explain that. I just know that the Holy Spirit knows how to unlock the heart, open the mind, and the understanding to what's needed in every moment of every day of every hour. And He is a real-time God. He is a real-time God. That means he'll speak to you right now in this moment. Amen. And we, may, we need to be dictated by the word of God. Joshua had commanded the people saying, You shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice. And I found, you know what I found? That the whole time we've had the word of God in our hands, people still saying stuff that have nothing to do with this Bible. I found it in churches, though they have the Bible on full display right up front, that nothing out of the pulpit comes anywhere close to what that Bible actually says. Or worse, I've seen from the pulpit the Word of God preached boldly, unapologetically, plainly, truthfully, and nobody in the congregation is willing to listen to it because they've got their own opinions, and that's more important than anything else. 
And God wants us to learn how to be dictated by the word and otherwise quit talking. Because God's already said it. God's already spoken. Amen. And I like what one preacher said, and I'll say it again. Speak where God has spoken. Speak what God has spoken and be silent where God's been silent. Amen. But I have no business saying something in direct contradiction to God's word. And I don't think it's fair to the pastors for churches today to expect the pastor to jump through man-made hoops that the Word of God strictly forbids them to jump through. Can I get an amen? And I thank God I don't feel like I'm being put, uh, forced through that kind of avenue here. I've been there before, but I'm rejoicing that y'all have given me freedom to come in here and ride back and preach the Word of God. Amen. And I say this, as long as we have the freedom to preach and obey the Word of God, we're going to be okay. Amen. We're going to be okay. But we need to pray for our fellow pastors who are struggling underneath the, the stress. They're trying to march around the walls of Jericho with God's covenant, with God's presence. They're trying to follow exactly and precisely the prescription that will bring the walls of division down. That'll bring the walls of opposition down. You, you can, you can uh, call them walls anything you want, but it's anything that opposes the voice and will of God for your life. And that preacher's doing everything he can to guide people, but the whole time he's preaching, they're coming back with a rebuttal. They're coming back with something else, and they've not learned to be quiet in the presence of God Almighty and to listen and to obey. And we need as a church to be constantly reminded that the Word of God is paramount above all else. And I have made up my mind as a preacher I'm going to study the real deal so that I can identify any counterfeits or any fakes or any opposition to it. So we have our dictation, but number four and lastly, I want to point something out. We can shout on this. We, uh, we have our marching orders for discipleship. You see, wh where do you see discipleship in this preacher? I'm glad you asked. Amen. Look at chapter 6, verse 20. We're going to read verses 20 through 24. So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. The people shouted with a great shout. That the wall fell down flat. By the way, archaeologists have since discovered that uh, the, the walls that fell flat. Did y'all know that? Amen. Ain't that a blessing? Uh, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, Young and old, ox, sheep, ass, the, with the edge of the sword, verse 22. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house. Oh, y'all remember that harlot, don't you? What was her name? Rahab, Rahab the harlot. Y'all remember what she did, don't you? She hid the spies and protected them and, and enabled them to escape out of the city. And there was a covenant made. She, made it, she struck a deal with them. And we see a picture of grace where they told her, said, if you'll leave this scarlet thread in your window and make sure that all the family you want to be saved is in the house with you, we'll, we'll spare every life where that scarlet thread is found. That's a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And how it can be uh, cover you just like, remember when I see the blood, I will pass over you. This is just another symbolism of what grace can do. And look at who God is using. He's using a harlot of all people. Could you imagine this, uh, this discussion in the, in the committee meeting of the church? How are we going to go in here and spy out the land? And could you imagine the pastor telling the deacons, here's what I want you to do. When you go into Jericho, I want you to find a, uh, the red light district, and I want you to pretend like you're just messing around with women. That would mess us up, wouldn't it? We would have to figure out another way. We wouldn't do that. And I'm not advocating for you men going out and starting a red light district ministry either. So don't misquote me this morning. 
But I simply point this out to say God does some very unusual things that don't look kosher to us sometimes. And you never know what God's actually doing behind the scenes. It looked like one thing, but it was a completely different thing. It was just a cover, a hiding. It was a way they knew they could get into the city without it standing out. It, it was nothing unusual for visitors to come in and then leave, right? So that was the easiest way for them to go in under the radar without being detected, without any suspicions being risen. And so what did she do? She hid them. And now what, what, what Joshua was telling these two spies to do Look at it again. We're in chapter 6. I think we're verse 24. Uh, no, verse 23. The young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab. This is what Joshua told them to do. Brought out her father, her mother, her brethren, and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. Now pay attention. And they burnt the city with fire. I see here a picture of soul-winning evangelism and discipleship. I think she got born again when she hid the spies. I really do. And I think there was already a change in her life. Amen. And she began to win souls. Do you see that in the text? She began to say, if you want to be spared of destruction that is to come, you better fall underneath the scarlet thread of the blood of Jesus Christ. I could hear her witnessing to them people, her family. Now look, uh, y'all may think this is crazy, but I'm telling you that the God's coming and judging this old city, and if you're not safe, you're going to be judged. Yeah. The only way you're going to be safe is to get under this scarlet thread. Yeah. Amen. And so she, she not only got saved, she began to soul win and bring others in with her. And her whole family got in on it. Amen. I'm glad that God can save the whole family and not just one or two, aren't you? And by the way, that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to tell others what Jesus did for you. Amen. And then you can begin to disciple and, and make disciples of, of men. And look what God did. God pulled them out of the city before he set it on fire. And that's a picture of the grace of God, how he pulls us out of the jaws of death, hell, and the grave before he pours out his judgment on this earth. Amen. I'm glad that God still saves sinners from pending judgment, aren't you? And I'm telling you that the church of Jesus Christ today needs to be busy about rescuing sinners out of the jaws of death, hell, and the grave. It's time for us to start reaching them wherever they are, amen, and loving the sinner with the love wherewith Christ has loved them. And we have no business turning anyone down because of their past. So they have marching orders. Before you burn the city, you be sure. Look for those under the blood, if you will. Amen. Look for those. This is, this is of course, a metaphor of that. Amen. And I want to say this. Never underestimate the plan that grace has for a sinner. Amen. Many times uh, we, like to, uh, to, we, we like to identify people by the outward appearance. And we say, oh, so-and-so will make a great servant of the Lord. Or so-and-so will be a great one to send to Bible college. And amen. And, and we'll pick those that, that do very well for themselves. And they've got themselves all pulled together real good. And, and we will try to invent somebody uh, that we can be proud of and that we can push forward and that we can promote as our own. Uh, but then comes along the Lord and scrapes up some harlot off the street somewhere, saves them by his grace, and she sets the world on fire for Jesus while we only pretend to and dream of the day that we might be able to. And I think if we just get in the business of loving every sinner, wherever they are, whatever they've done, don't be judgmental, don't be pharisaical. Amen. Don't be walking by them with, with your nose pinched. Acting like your, their sin smells worse than yours. Come on. I'm talking about where the church needs to be. We have our marching orders. We need to bust out of here. And we need to go reach some people. I'm praying. I'm, every chance I get now, I'm laying my hands on this, uh, this uh, school bus out here. And I'm praying God send somebody with a burden that has the physical strength and ability to work this ministry. Amen. And go out and reach the lost and fill that bus up with youngins that need Jesus desperately. Say, why don't you do it, preacher? Have you checked my schedule lately? 
Amen. It's, I, I would if I could, but the, I, I don't need to. God needs to raise up somebody else to do that. I'm doing what I'm called to do. That's to preach the word and give the dictates of the Lord through the word of God to his church. So this is where we're at. Would there be one in our midst that would pray and surrender to that ministry should God touch your heart? Would there be one that would get a burden for the homeless? Pray for ways that we could reach out more effectively to the homeless. Would there be one among us that would get a burden and pick up the ministry for our widows and really make sure that they're followed up on and taken well care of? See, there's so much that we can do to reach out to the broken and the desperate and the hurting and the lonely. Can I get an amen, church? Uh, and I believe that we are called as much to be disciples and to make disciples as we are to worship the Lord. And we're, here's where the church has made a mistake. We said our highest calling is to worship God. And so it is. But we forgot that to worship God in spirit and into truth is not just an act that we go through on Sunday morning, but it is a lifestyle of obedience. True worshipers will follow the truth. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And would you be praying about maybe uh, winning souls in the witness room during our dental bus ministry? Uh, a lot of times these people that come into the dental bus ministry, are, uh, they're down on their luck. They don't have insurance. They have a hard time making ends meet. And uh, if we didn't do this, they would go another year without dental procedures. These are the kinds of people that the Lord wants the church to st step up to the plate and minister to. And that's why I'm glad that we do these kinds of things. But I think the church needs to look for ways uh, not just to raise their hands on Sunday morning, but to extend their hands on Monday through Friday or Saturday. Say, how can I help the broken how can I get more involved? But I don't have time, preacher. We have time for what we make time for. We do. Would anybody object to that thought? I would just challenge you to calculate how, much, how many hours you spend uh, on either social media and or television in a given week. And then ask yourself this question, do I really have time to do more for God or am I just making excuses? But I'm not prepared, I'm not trained well, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. Take that time that you have available and prepare yourself. Get your hands ready for battle. Figure out what needs to be done and do it. You do that for your career. You figure out how to get the raise. You figure out how to get the promotion. You figure out how to get the job by filling out an awesome resume. And some of you might even lie on your resume to get the job. Uh-oh. We'll do just about anything to figure out how to make it in life. But how come we drop the ball when it comes to the needed work of ministry? We prioritize everything else in our lives. But the house of God continues to lie waste. As we dwell in our sealed houses, drive our fancy cars, uh, amen, float around on our fancy boats, uh, and the church can't even afford to do the things that we're called to do because we're in love with this world and we're not in love with Jesus. I'm talking about we have our marching orders. You say you're awful hard on us this morning, preacher. I feel like I'm in the book. I feel like it's the book that's being hard on us. What would have happened had these two spies discarded the worth of this harlot and said, you know what, we just used her, and she obviously didn't mind being used, so let's just set the city on fire. Let's just forget about her. Do you realize that they would have burned up and destroyed the life through whose lineage would come the Christ child. You study the lineage of Christ. You can trace it back. Because what happened is this harlot got saved. She married a Jew. And she lived the rest of her life serving the true God. And through her lineage comes the Christ child. Never underestimate the plan God has for the most broken among us. Because it is a magnificent and beautiful
redemptive plan. And we need to start learning how to just follow God's voice and doing what he says do and leaving the results up to him. But think of the carnage that could be avoided today in countless families when we take our marching orders from the Lord and obey them with every step. I wish I had time to tell you the stories this morning, and I don't, but there have been many throughout the years that I've either preached to and or pastored that ignored the warning of Scripture, ignored the counsel of the preaching of God's Word. Some of them are already in the grave today if they'd only listened. Some of them, they're not in the grave, but they might as well be those walking dead men if they had only listened. And sadly, some of them are still walking in their sin thinking they're happy, but they don't see that destruction lies around the corner. They're in one of those three categories. They're either living high and good and they don't see no danger coming. Or they've lived that life and now catastrophe has hit and they have hardly nothing left to live for. Or they're six feet under because they would not heed the word of God. And you can live in sin all you want to. And you can do all you want, but you cannot remove yourself from the consequences. And as a church, we need to live holy ourselves. Amen. That's not a popular subject to preach on today. We need to live right. We need to practice what we preach. I don't like the word practice. I'd rather do the real thing, wouldn't you? Amen. We need to do what we preach. And then we need to hold this next generation accountable. You know what's going to help this young generation? Not entertaining them. Not being their best friend. Being cool and hip and all that. But loving them. Kids today are starved for love. They don't get it at home a lot of times, unfortunately. They don't get it at school a lot of times, unfortunately. And so some of them now are joining gangs because the gangs give them a family. It's a bitter family to be a part of. Because in order to join that kind of family, you have to be hurt to join it, and you'll be hurt if you leave it. Gang initiation, it's amazing to me how people would rather live in a gang than to live lonely and feel isolated and rejected. But it happens every single day. And it's time for the church to learn how to love again. Just love people. Bring them to your house and feed them once a week or something. Spend some time with them. Go to their ball game. Let them know how proud you are of them when they make an accomplishment. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not rocket science. If we could figure out how to love people better than anybody else loves them, we can win this next generation. It don't take a whole lot. We don't have to have all the lights, camera, and actions, fog machines, and all of that. Just love the sinner, and the sinner will fall in love with the Savior. Amen. It's really simple. We have our marching orders. What are we going to do with them? Everybody stand your feet.